My name is David Hopper. I am one of the equipping pastors here at the church. I'd like to take a moment to thank Pastor Larry for this opportunity to speak on the subject of substitution. This is the fourth word of seven words spoken from the cross, and this series has been amazing. But as we get to this word of substitution, it's kind of an interesting word. We don't really think of this word in a positive light when it comes to this world we, we live in. I had my daughter who's two-year-old, two uh, her name's Noelle, and we were at Toontown in Disneyland, and she's so excited as we're going to see Minnie Mouse. We're waiting in front of Minnie Mouse's house, and we're there. She's bouncing up and down. I mean, it's my fault. I have told her about this big, overstuffed animal that loves her and speaks in a high voice, and so she is so excited. And this lady walks out and says, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Um, Minnie's a little under the weather. Uh, we have this great substitute. Uh, please welcome Mary Poppins. I begin to explain to my daughter, well, Mary Poppins is this nanny housekeeper with magical powers and did something for this family, and it was really great. But that just doesn't do well with my daughter. She's thinking, all I see is this old lady with rosy cheeks where Minnie should be. In fact, when we think of the word substitution, I think the only time that that was a really good word was in high school, when the substitute teacher would come along. That's when we would be excited because we would know that means movie day, right? Which is a complete waste of our day, so we shouldn't be that excited. In college, they don't even do that. In college, they have this unwritten rule where there's 15 minutes after the teacher isn't there, then you can leave. So if the teacher's just a little bit late, you get really excited. You're like, oh, I, I'm going to get an hour of my life back, which is odd because we pay for college, but having an hour back is pretty exciting. So everything in life tells us that a substitute's not that really, that's not that really of a thing, and then we're told that Christ was our substitute on the cross. And for many people, their first thought is, wait, I didn't even ask for a substitute. I don't understand why there's a substitute. If I go to a U2 concert, and the guy comes out and says, Bono's not here, but please welcome U3 today, and some guys with some bow ties and banjos start playing, unless you're a huge fan of bow ties, you're going to demand your money back. So when we're told that Christ is our substitute, for most, that's a very confusing statement. And we know that we don't want to go to a place called hell. We have this idea that hell is a really bad place, but we don't quite understand what it is. Some kind of separation from God and, and fire and all this kind of stuff. And we know we want to go to heaven. We have this idea of heaven being a great place, but we can't quite grasp what it is. We, we have bits and pieces but, and we want to go there, but we don't quite get it. So we have all these confusing questions of what hell is, what heaven is, and that Christ has to go to the cross as a substitute for us. And then when he's on the cross, we hear him scream. In the Greek, it literally says he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the confusion level rises to a new, a new area because now we see our Christ yelling at God. And we know that God and Christ are one and that Christ comes down in God form. So you, you have a human there that's taking on all the principles of who God is. But when he's on this cross, there's this moment of separation. And when he's yelling, 
Why have you forsaken me? I want to ask you to join me on a journey into this moment as we dig deep into this moment because what happens here is life-changing. And it absolutely changed the world from this point on. We see it at Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew 27, at noon, in the middle of the day, it goes completely dark. It's, I don't know what exactly happens if there's cloud cover with thunder and it's just completely dark or there's an eclipse of the sun. But something happens in this moment where God turns off the lights. It's like that moment when you're at a show and you can be talking with people and there's this murmur across the crowd. You don't really quite know what people are saying, but you just hear a lot of noise. And then they flicker the lights. And as soon as they flicker the lights, no matter what conversation you're having, it's like, shh, I want to see what happens next. The show is about to begin. It's as if God flickers the lights and says, you don't want to miss this. What's about to happen is really good. And so everyone just pays attention. And from until about 3 o'clock, at 3 o'clock, it's dark until noon till 3, and then Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the word of substitution. It's the most shocking word of all of them. It's this word which says, I have been deserted, rejected, abandoned, forsaken. Nothing hurts more in this world than the the word abandonment. When you are abandoned by a spouse, you feel that pain forever. Even if you get married again, in the back of your mind, you have this pain from someone who has abandoned you. When you have been abandoned by a parent, that pain stays with you forever. When you are abandoned by a child, it's, there's just no greater pain. Even if you're in a boyfriend or girlfriend relationship, you feel that moment of abandonment, and it is devastating. In the last 24 hours, Jesus Christ has been abandoned by Judas, abandoned by the disciples, abandoned by his own people, then abandoned by the entire world that put him on a cross, and now he's abandoned by God. He's feeling this incredible rejection, and he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is going on here? Jesus is becoming my substitute in that moment. I wrote on Facebook a few weeks ago that I think everything that I have collected as a single person and a young married my kids have destroyed at this point. And I was so, what happened was I was given this challenger. It's a remote control challenger. And it was uh, for my birthday about three months ago. And it was by a friend who knew my dream car has always been the challenger. But then I had kids. And so he gave me this remote control. I said, here's your dream car. And I said, thank you. And I enjoyed it. I was actually playing with it a lot for about three months. And I finally, in a lapse of judgment, said, sure, son, you can play with it. And within an hour, he broke the antenna off the remote control car, which is a key component of a remote control car. And I said to my son, son, you have broken and destroyed everything I've ever given you. I want to give you good things. I want to give you the best. I literally, I want to do that. I'm never giving you anything again. Never anything fun you have lost out on. And in that moment, I stepped back and I thought... That is probably the conversation that Christ wants to have with me. 
He's probably saying something like, I have given you the earth and the universe and the stars. It's just this beautiful place, this world you can explore. And you keep bringing in these disgusting, gross scents and just messing it up. I don't want to give you anything good anymore. But that is not the message that Christ gives us. In fact, we don't see that speech anywhere. Instead, what we see is God sends his son as an example. And he shows us through his son what those disgusting and gross sins do. He literally says, I'm going to show you the pain of this moment. He says in 1 John 2, he, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Atoning sacrifice. Atonement means payment for damages done. If I run into your car, you're going to want atonement for that. If I drive away and I say, oh, I'm so sorry, we'll see you, and I drive away, the cops will then hunt me down and then put me in jail. And we want that. Otherwise, we're going to drive around in really damaged vehicles. Or if someone comes in and robs you and takes all your stuff and says, sorry, and just leaves, we're going to live in a world in which... We won't have any, any stuff. We won't have anything. We'll live in a dangerous, dangerous world. It's places like what's happening in Colorado. We understand that there is atonement for that, and we want that. We want a price to be paid for what happened. It will never be enough, but we want atonement. So we get atonement. Where we lapse the judgment is our sins also have to have an atonement. There has to be a price paid for every single sin. And we have to pay that price, except for Christ steps up and says, I will pay this price for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. And in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. God teaches us a couple of huge things in this moment. When Christ cries out these words, he teaches us that God is holy. Revelation 4.8 says, holy, holy, holy. He says it three times. He really wants us to get this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In Greek mythology and Roman mythology, we are uh, just there's so many gods in them. It got Zeus and Jupiter and Venus and on and on. It makes for great movies because all of these gods have human flaws. In fact, there's movies coming out like every week about one of these gods because they're lustful, they're prideful. They just keep getting themselves in trouble because they have human flaws. But a god with human flaws is not worthy of your worship. Our god, the creator of the universe, is a perfect god. It's pure He lives in perfection. He is perfection. And because God is perfect, he cannot stand in anything that is evil. He can't be in a moment of sin. He is pure and perfect. It's Habakkuk 1 says, your eyes, Lord, are too pure to look on evil. He can't even look at it. You cannot tolerate wrong. This is why there's no sin in heaven. A perfect and pure God wouldn't have sin in heaven. There's no wrong, there's no suffering, there's no sickness, there's no sadness because God is perfect. We don't understand heaven 
because we're so far from it. We live in a completely different world. We live in a world with suffering and sin and sadness. So when we're told a little bit about heaven and how pure and how perfect it is, we're like, I want to go there for sure. But I don't, my head can't even grasp what it is. But because of it being perfect, God has to turn away in this moment. You find Christ even saying, my God, my God. Everywhere else, he calls him Father. Even on the cross, two times before, he calls him Father. But in this moment, the relationship is broken. God has to step back and say, because I can't even look at sin. I can't be a part of sin because God is perfection. I have to step away. I have to abandon you in this moment as you take on the sins of this world. It's a devastating moment on the cross, and he screams out to us. He screams out and says, I have been forsaken. My sin has caused an incredible abandonment. As we get to part two here, sin is ugly, and we have to know that sin is ugly. We don't think sin is ugly. We actually think sin is cool. I was watching this great James Bond movie where James Bond is in the hospital and he's, he's taking all these pills and he's fighting off STDs. No, that's not the James Bond movie we watched. That's the real James Bond movie because if he'd been with all these women, he's going to have every STD there ever was, right? Not to mention the broken relationship one after the other. That's going to end really well, right? No, what we see is the cool James Bond. And I'm a James Bond fan. You know, you grew up wanting to be James Bond. But the reality of that life is ugly. And we think sin is funny. It's watching this great beer commercial where the drunk guy walks in and he starts beating his wife and kids. No, that's not the beer commercials we see. That's the reality, but that's not the beer commercials we see. We see something totally different because we think sin is funny. When the reality of sin is very, very ugly, Jesus takes on in this moment every guilt, every sin, and he begins to show us how damaging sin is in our life. He shows us first right away that sin alienates. It alienates you from God. It breaks the relationship with God. Have you ever been praying, and you're praying to God, and you feel like, man, this is going nowhere. It's bouncing off the ceiling. Now, whether you're in a good relationship or a bad relationship with God, you might have struggles where you're not sure where God is taking you in life, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those moments where all you can think about is the sin in your life, and you feel like God is so distant because it alienates you from him. The cross shows that the damaging effect in Isaiah 59 is that your evil has separated you from your God. And your sins have caused him to turn away from you. I just celebrated my nine-year anniversary with my wife. And after nine years with my wife, one of the things that I have learned is that if she walks into a room in about 3.5 seconds, I know if she's mad at me. Right? Right, men? We know immediately if the relationship has been broken, if something's not quite right. Why would it be different with our God? We're the bride of Christ. It doesn't take very long to figure out about maybe 3.5 seconds when you're praying, this sin that is going on in my life, that has broken this relationship. 
and we are not one right now. The second thing we see is that sin distresses. The sin is going to cause an amazing, amazing amount of stress in your life. It would be as to keep sin in your life. It would be as foolish as if you tried to walk around with a backpack full of rocks. Now, hold on one second. If I was going to try and walk with this backpack, which I may have overfilled, it would, after a while, if I tried to do the rest of the sermon with this backpack on, my lower back is going to begin to hurt, my shoulders are going to begin to hurt, and I'm just not going to be the same person. And if I continue to walk with this backpack throughout the whole week, by the end of the week, I'm going to be walking like hunched over I'm not going to be that happy-go-lucky guy that you're all used to and love. Just kidding. I just, uh, it's going to change my whole demeanor, right? I will even go so far as to say if I tried to walk a whole year, a couple years with this backpack, it would shorten my lifespan because I was not made to walk around with a backpack full of rocks. In fact, I would be a fool for walking around like this. And so I don't, and we are told in the Bible, hold on one second, we are told in the Bible that sin is far worse, and if we walk around with sin in our life, it will actually damage who you are. It will cause pain and stress in your life. It will probably shorten your life, because we were not made to be broken from our God. We are made to have a relationship with Christ. That's what we were designed to be in this incredible, beautiful relationship. And sin distresses that. We also see that sin condemns. When you violate God's law, there is always a penalty. And you live not only with God's condemnation, you live with self-condemnation. You feel that. The Bible says it like this. God is a righteous judge, and he always condemns the wicked. It tells us that people like Hitler and Coney and this guy in Colorado, that there is going to be a punishment for sin. If not in this life, then it will be the next. And we want that. We understand that. We want this bad people and sin to be punished. We just somewhere along the way forget that it's also meant for us, that when we sin, it condemns. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Wages are something that you earn in life. We have earned death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We've been given a gift. Your biggest problem in life is not your financial crisis or your health crisis. It's not that you are having relationship problems or that you're out of work. It's not that you're not making enough money. It's not that your emotional needs are unmet. Those are all real problems, but your biggest problem in life is that you are at war with God. You are many times taking on you are God, and you are the one that decides what you are going to do, what you are going to be, and you are at war with God saying, I have a perfect plan for you. I have designed you. I have created you. I want the best for you. And we are at war with that constantly. And the cross shows us this destructiveness of sin in our life, how it alienates, how it stresses us out, and how it condemns us. The third thing we understand through this is that salvation is costly. It is a free gift. 
It's free to you and I, but it came at a very high price. God's son. The Bible says God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. Why does God have anger against us? Because we are at war with him. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. One of my favorite movies is called Amazing Grace. It's about this guy named William Wilberforce. And he is in the parliament in England when the slave trade is really big. And the slave trade was making people a, a ton of money, like millions of dollars in this time period. And the thing about it is William Wilberforce says, wait a second, guys. This is obviously sin. This is obviously wrong. We're putting these people, we're killing people. We're putting them into the slave labor. We have to stop this. But for most, it was out of sight, out of mind. They didn't want to deal with it because it was making so much money. And so as it goes on and his life is threatened and many things happen, he finally decides that he has to stand up and make big, bold moves to get people to realize what this sin is causing, how people are dying, and how God would not have them do this. In Galatians 3, it says that Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoings. William Wilberforce, he made this big, bold move of faith for people who had no idea who he was. And the reality is he had no idea who they were, but he knew what sin was. So he stepped up and said, we cannot do this. And he changed the future for millions of people. Christ paid the ultimate price. He stood against evil and he took on the sins of the world for people who hadn't been born yet. He changed our future. That came at a heavy price, but Christ said sin is wrong. And sin is keeping you from a relationship with God. And sin is keeping you from heaven, a perfect and pure place. So he stepped up and he took this on, this costly moment to change the future of the world. That should cause a response in us. Our first response should be to turn from my sin and to trust Jesus to save me. We need to be thinking about that first move with Christ, making Christ the Savior of my life. The Bible is from beginning to end showing you men, when they found Christ, their lives were changed. You see it from the beginning with Moses. Moses stands before the Pharaoh, which is the king of the world, and he says, let my people go, no matter what the cost. We see it with Noah. Noah builds this amazing boat in a place where it doesn't rain as people are calling him fools. Then he fills it with animals and goes through the flood. We see Daniel. Daniel steps up and prays anyway, even though he knows that they're going to throw him into a lion's den where lions will rip him apart. But he does it anyway because Christ has changed him. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They won't bow before the king, even though they know that they're going to be thrown into fire and burned alive. When your life is changed by Christ, when you understand what Christ did for you, it causes you to step up and say, God is big. I believe in him, and I will do big, bold things for him. 
Romans 3.22 says this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, a price that was paid through faith in his blood. In your mind, you've got some kind of secret closet full of sins that you don't want anybody to know that you do. You don't want anyone to know that you've committed these sins. And Christ says, I died for those sins. Stop putting yourself on the cross. I've already paid the price. Accept my gift. And then we see in Hebrews 10, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for our sins is left for us. He tells us, this is your moment. Accept this. There's no other way. Christ Jesus is the only way. Our second response should be a a gratitude for that. We should live in joy. All those issues that I said earlier, the financial issues, the health issues, those are very real. Life is not easier. Life is hard. But when we have this incredible gift, this free gift that changes our future, we should still be living with a life of joy, with a life of happiness, a life of gratitude that says, no matter what I face, I have Christ within me, so I've already won the war. And I'm excited about where God is taking me. That should change the way you do everything in this world. Our third response is that when I'm tempted to sin, I need to remember what my sin cost Jesus. There should be this pause when we're about to sin. That moment at night when you're about to do the same sin over and over again, there should be a pause in saying, do I really want to pour on more on Christ in that moment when he paid the ultimate price? Do I want to continue to pour into that moment? It has been forgiven, but do I want to continue to do that? I should pause before I'm going to hurt somebody, pause before I stab someone in the back, before I I gossip about someone, before I talk behind them. I want to pause and say, do I want to continue to pour this into the Christ that was on the cross for my sins? We should pause. Finally, our response should be, I need to tell others the good news. This is the best news in the whole world. I've been given a gift. I've been given this gift, someone who has died for me, someone who has forgiven me of all my sins. Why would I not tell people about that? Wouldn't people want to know that this is out there? This is why Canyon Hills exists. This is why there's a women's conference for the women to get involved in. This is why Pastor Calvin and Allison are taking a group of students to San Diego today to do a week-long service trip. This is why they do it. This is why a group of women are raising money right now so they can go on an Indian mission trip. As far as this church will reach, we need to be telling people about the good news because that is why we exist. It's why from the very first, at the beginning of this series, we said, invite people. We want you to be sharing this message and inviting people here every week because this is why we exist. We have been given a gift, and it's really good news. We need to be sharing that every single week with people. If you're not inviting them here, then yourself, you need to be going and telling people, telling your neighbors, telling people at work. It's incredible news. Why would we not share it every single day? This gift of Christ 
as our substitution. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. But if you're in here and you need to make that first bold move in which you say, I need this Christ in my life. I need this Savior in my life. Something through the worship or the word, but I realize I don't have this and I need it. I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to take that first step and say, yes. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me. I need to take this first bold move for Christ. Quickly raise it up and leave it up for a second. Yes. Anyone else? Quickly raise it up. Make that first move. Amen. Secondly, if you're in this room and you would say, I walk with a backpack full of rocks. I walk around with so much sin and I haven't given it to Christ and I need to let Christ die for that so that I can then live in a state of gratitude and move on and know that my Christ is big and he can take care of that. If you're in here and you're saying, that's me, I need forgiveness of my sins, I need to move on. Just quickly raise your hand and say, that's me. Make that bold move and say, that's me. My life will be different. Amen. God, we just come before you and we thank you for this gift. We are overwhelmed by it. We can't wait to spend eternity with you. And we are thankful for it, God. Help us to be bold. I pray for those that raise their hands. Their life would be changed. And that we would be bold in our relationship with you, sharing this every chance we can. We love you, and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.